It's Monday, July 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Industry Focus host, Nick Seipel. Good to see you, sir. Great to be here, Chris. We were talking about before the show, this is my first appearance on Market Foolery, so it's great to be on uh, in the big leagues now, Chris. <laughs> Long-time listeners of Motley Fool Podcast are well acquainted with Nick's work on Industry Focus. Um, you know, when Independence Day uh, comes on a Saturday, I think it's reasonable to ex- uh, expect that it's going to be sort of a quiet business news day on Monday. That's what I was expecting. But the news fairy showed up. I love it when the news fairy showed up. So, we're going to talk about a couple of deals that are in the news. We're also going to dip it in the full mailbag. But let's start with Warren Buffett, who finally got out his elephant gun and put it to work. Berkshire Hathaway is buying the natural gas assets from Dominion Energy for $4 billion. When you throw in the debt, it's actually closer to a $10 billion deal. Uh, we knew months ago that we were going to see consolidation in the energy industry. We knew we were going to see deals. Um, Let me just start with this, Nick. What was your reaction when you saw this news? Uh, So The reaction, obviously, anytime you see Warren Buffett hop into the market, a $10 billion enterprise value deal, it's a big deal. This is Warren Buffett's biggest acquisition uh, on an enterprise value basis uh, since Precision Cast Parts uh, in 2016. So, obviously, a big deal to see Warren Buffett hopping into the market. And when it comes to the actual acquisition, to, to me, this feels like a classic Warren Buffett deal. These pipeline assets... They're really a monopoly at the end of the day. If you own this pipeline, you own a monopoly on transmitting uh, these gas assets around the country. And when you look at the role that natural gas plays in our electricity infrastructure, it's only going to get bigger uh, as the years go on. So I pulled up some stats today in 2019, about 23% of... Electricity production in the U.S. came from coal, about 38% from natural gas. That coal uh, number is going down, and it's going to be largely replaced um, by natural gas and renewable energy. I know a lot of folks are excited about solar and wind and the role they can play in the market as they become cheaper, and they certainly will grow. Uh, but given uh, natural gas's role as a, as a power source that can come on quickly and steadily throughout the day, natural gas is only going to become bigger and bigger as a contributor uh, to our electricity Assets And so Warren Buffett having a monopoly on a part of that distribution network in the U.S. is particularly valuable. Uh, I think uh, I saw a stat this morning. This brings Berkshire's uh, control over U.S. natural gas distribution to about 18 percent. So really significant uh, uh, part of this distribution of natural gas is going to become a bigger and bigger part of our electricity infrastructure. So I think it's a classic Warren Buffett deal. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the the footprint that Berkshire is going to have when it comes to natural gas transmission. That's actually up from eight percent, so that's a pretty sizable leap. Um, you know, to control effectively one fifth of natural gas transmissions uh, in the U.S. Um, part of me was not surprised by this deal, um, given uh, Berkshire's investments in energy over the years, given how important energy businesses are to the overall portfolio. Um, selfishly, I, you know, if you told me Buffett's going to make an acquisition over the weekend, um, whether or not I would have guessed it was in the in, uh, energy industry, I would have guessed it would have been larger. I mean, it's good to have the context that you shared in terms of, look, this may not seem like a big deal relative to the amount of cash they have, and that's sort of how I was framing it. Um, I think the smarter way for investors to frame it is the way you did, just in terms of like, look, let's measure this not against the pile of cash that Berkshire has, which I believe as of the most recent annual meeting was 
north of $135 billion. Let's judge it uh, compared to previous acquisitions. And look, you know, Buffett has been saying for months now, uh, you know, in part at the annual meeting, he doesn't see value out there. He's not going to pull the, just because he has the money doesn't mean he's going to go out and spend it unless he sees the value here. And, you know, when you look at Dominion Energy stock, not not really getting a pop out of this. Um, I know it's a big company, but you know, part of part of my read on that is Buffett got a good price. Yeah, so I saw a quote from from J.P. Morgan today, and the way they described it was, "It's quote not the highest we have seen gas pipes transact at." So, so yeah, I think I think it's a reasonable a reasonable price, and I think that the big thing for Buffett when you heard him talk about airlines, what happened with coronavirus. He, his vision of the future of what the potential was uh, for that industry was really significantly changed uh, by, by what took place. I think when you look at these pipeline businesses, the predictability is so, so different from what you're looking at from airlines, because I think we can reasonably predict that electricity demand is going to continue up and to the right going into the future as we become more and more technologically focused, more and more uh, electric cars, that sort of thing. And so I think it's really reasonable pr- to predict uh, the continued growth in demand uh, uh, for energy, and as a result, the continued growth in demand um, for natural gas. So when you just look at this asset, I know it's only you know ten billion dollars of this one hundred thirty-seven billion dollar cash pile. It, this is a this is a cash flow st- stream that's really easy for Warren Buffett to predict and value over time. And uh, I, I think it's a deal that really makes a lot of sense. Now, would we like Buffett to go out and spend you know one hundred thirty billion dollars really quick? I think we'd all like to. It'd be really exciting, but it's really hard to find these deals. Spending $10 billion all at once, it's it's really, really difficult. And so the fact that he found this deal looks particularly attractive, and it's the type of deal um, that I, I think you know fits Warren Buffett's investing philosophy. Very predictable infrastructure play. Um, I, I like it. Let's move from energy to the food service industry. Uh, in the wake of its failed attempt to buy Grubhub, Uber is buying Postmates for $2.65 billion dollars. Postmates is the fourth largest food delivery service business in the United States. And it, it, it seems like, uh, certainly from the reaction of Uber, uh, Uber's stock, which is up 4 or 5% today, um, it seems like this is being well received. You know, they're, they're paying less money, they're getting a smaller asset, but they're, they're getting exposure, sort of greater exposure to some pretty big markets like Los Angeles and Miami. And you know what? When you look at Postmates, which is a private company that kicked the tires on a potential IPO last year, you know they they almost needed to do this deal, didn't they? Because they were they were out of money. Otherwise, they were probably looking at having to IPO in the current environment. Yeah. So, so the rumor was that that Postmates was either going to get the biggest possible deal they could get from a SPAC uh, company, or or they would get acquired by Uber, and it seems to have been the case that Uber uh, gave them the most attractive deal. I, I think we, we've been expecting consolidation in this space. Nobody makes any money. Uh, so maybe if we consolidate more, uh, uh, somebody will. A- after this deal, uh, Postmates and Uber Eats together will have about a 37% market share of food delivery in the US. Uh, that Compare that with DoorDash at 45% and Grubhub at 17%. So really, this industry is becoming significantly more consolidated. 
I think that that's good for for the company. I, from my point of view, I, I don't see the economies of scale here in this business. I think when you look at logistics business like FedEx or Amazon, the whole idea is you consolidate things in distribution centers, squeeze out into efficiency that way. You really can't do that in food delivery. You've got to do this one way trip. You have to go to the restaurant, pick up the food, bring it back to the customer. Uh, you're you know that there's this concept of your margin is my opportunity. Well, the margin we're skimming here is restaurants. There's really not that mar that much margin there. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a positive for the industry in that it's consolidated and there's going to be less uh, competitive pressure on price as the industry becomes more consolidated. I don't know if it makes me any more excited about investing in the industry, just given I, I don't think there's significant economies of scale here. Yeah, when you look at uh, the delivery business, it really seems, food delivery that is, it really does seem like a war of attrition. That it's just, you know, these businesses are trying to be the last one standing. Um, the mayor of uh, Miami came out this morning, announced um, a reclosing of restaurants. So again, the, with with Postmates' footprint there, you know, obviously the deal isn't going to close. And by the way, uh, I should mention, uh, we shouldn't assume this is going to get done. I mean, I'm I'm more confident this is going to get done than the Grubhub deal. But it is worth remembering that earlier this year came the announcement. You know, a lot of hubbub about, oh, great, this you know this partnership between Uber and Grubhub, and the deal fell apart. So until everything is signed in ink, we shouldn't assume, but it really does seem like it's going that way. Yeah, one thing I did want to note on kind of synergies between these companies I thought was interesting is there was a quote from Dara Khosrowshahi, who's the CEO of Uber, talking about how they're going to integrate the two products. Uh, and one of the, the services they mentioned integrating was Postmates a subscription service where it's $9.99 per month for a subscription that provides no fee delivery on any orders over $12, which which sounds great, but that's literally what DashPass is. That's literally the exact terms and the exact uh, what you get if, if you pay for DashPass uh, through DoorDash. So I, I think this is just a, just a signal of the commoditization in this industry. I think as it gets down to, to a smaller number of players, maybe within certain markets uh, where those players are dominant, they can carve out a profitable business. But you know, I don't see these companies having tech-based margins in the near future. One area where, where I could be wrong is Uber has rolled out a product where they're going to be working with the city in, in California, I believe, to integrate uh, with their public transit network. I think that gives some opportunities uh, for some software like margins, uh, that sort of thing. One concern I have there, though, is just the history in Uber's business when it comes to working with governments hasn't been the most positive. But if they can build that out, I do think that has some potential uh, to increase their margins and drive some more profitability. But we'll see. Let's go back to energy as we dip into the full mailbag. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Jamie Luco, who writes, do you think oil stocks and funds like U.S. oil, with the ticker USO, will bounce back in the next few months or year? Or do you think this is the time where green and renewable energy, uh, energies like solar will prevail? Kind of a binary choice that Jamie's offering up there. Yeah, so um, yes. And no, I think I think on the front end, I think in the near term, it's going to be difficult for, for particularly these oil and gas exploration funds, because a lot of these shale companies have, have been in really difficult uh, positioning from a balance balance sheet point of view. Um, and, and there's going to be bankruptcies in this space. We've already seen a number of those Whiting Petroleum, Chesapeake Energy, and, and we're going to see more. So it's going to be really difficult for these shale players uh, in the near term. Now, does that mean now is the time where there's the inflection point and, and renewables are, are going to take the lead and, it, and it's over for oil and gas? 
No, I, I don't think it's the case. And I would actually argue that in some ways, some of these renewable companies are a little bit overstretched. I think that the poster child there is, is Nikola Motor trading at a higher market cap than Ford with, with, with no revenue. But I, so I, I think renewables are going to become a bigger and bigger share of our power generation going forward. However, the transition is not going to be as quickly as a lot of folks would like. And part of that is because of that uh, intermittency problem I talked about earlier. So when you're running a, a, an electrical grid, it's really important that there's demand for the power you generate. You need to ma match the power that you generate to when uh, there's going to be demand from the grid. And one of the challenges with renewable energies uh, like solar and wind is that they're very intermittent. And so when the sun is out, power is being generated, but it's, it's, you can't necessarily align that power uh, with demand. And so uh, if you don't do that, you can have voltage issues on your grid, blackouts, all kinds of problems. And so for that reason, you can't just snap your fingers and replace uh, power, power sources like coal 100% uh, with, with renewable. You even see that in Germany where they've really ramped up their renewable production, but, but a lot of their uh, existing uh, uh, power generation has remained in place because you need to have that smoothness in the grid. So, so I think renewables are going to grow uh, but but it's going to be you know a, a steady slow transition over years and years and years and years and I, I think to the extent that folks think that we're at, they're at this inflection point where all of a sudden the grid is going to going to shift over you know 100% away for, from natural gas and those types of energy sources um, I don't think it's likely I, I do think though uh, that that you know coming this year I, I think it's likely we're going to see some significant government investing uh, in in renewables and, and so that's probably going to support these stocks. Whether the, whether the pace of the transition to renewables supports where some of these stocks are trading today, I don't know. Th those are kind of my thoughts on, on where the space is today. I, I think actually given the pessimism around oil and gas and, and you know, people are really reluctant to invest in some of these sectors, there's a chance uh, that, that we overshoot uh, to the downside and there's some value opportunities um, in oil and gas, but, but we'll see. I hesitate to protect oil prices, uh, who knows. I'm not going to ask you to predict oil prices, but I am going to ask before we wrap up for a prediction on more M&A activity, um, because I, I could see as this pandemic drags on, as you know, whether it's Dominion Energy or any other business out there, businesses look to sort of either stave off bankruptcy or shed parts of their business uh, so that they can remain solvent. I could see the biggest players in this space, ExxonMobil, Chevron, et cetera, um, being the longer term winners because they have the cash to get through this. They can, like Warren Buffett, they can pick up some of these companies whole cloth or assets within these companies uh, at a value. So I'm wondering, first, do you expect to see some of the biggest players in this industry make those types of acquisitions? And along with that, would it surprise you if some of the acquisitions were in renewables, in the same way that a, a, an alcohol business like Constellation Brands has a portfolio of beer, wine, and spirits? Would it surprise you if ExxonMobil, Chevron, Royal Dutch Shell, any of these businesses decided to make a big play in something like solar, rather than sort of develop their own? Yes, I think 100% there, there's going to be more consolidation in oil and gas. Uh, major players like Exxon, BP, th those types of folks are, are going to make acquisitions where it makes sense, where there's there's quality assets um, available in the shale patch. I, I do think your your point about 
do, will these major oil and gas companies make investments in renewable, I think is a good one. I think the main driver behind that is this, this rise of ESG funds, more and more uh, investment dollars being allocated in a way where, where they'll only flow to companies that, that meet certain ESG environmental uh, um, benchmarks. And I think as large asset managers put pressure on these companies uh, to meet emissions targets and to be more green, et cetera, uh, we'll see those types of moves, whether it's, I think, in, in the case of Dominion, uh, part of the reason they divested some of their natural gas assets, assets is to accelerate uh, a pledge they've made uh, to become net zero emission. I think, I think we're going to see more and more of this um, from energy companies as institutional investors say, we're not going to give you our money. We're not going to invest in you uh, if you don't uh, you know, show some of the some progress towards these goals that we have. So I certainly think that's a possibility to, to occur in the, the coming years. You can hear him every Thursday on our industry-focused podcast. Nick Seipel, thanks for being here. Great to, great to be on, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.